0: You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast, available free on iTunes.
1: That's one of today's guests, Lydia Ramsey, an Americana singer-songwriter who weighs in on the changes to Seattle and its music scene. I'm Jeff Schulman, and this fourth season of Seattle Growth Podcast is examining the past, present, and future of Seattle's music scene. Money and people are moving into Seattle at an unprecedented rate, The city is clearly undergoing a physical transformation as a nation-leading number of cranes dot the sky. But is there a cultural transformation underway as well? Has the legendary music scene that grabbed the nation's attention during the 1990s grunge era maintained its identity? Three voices in today's Seattle music scene share their perspective on the culture of Seattle music and how it is changing in recent years. You'll hear more from the talented voice of Lydia Ramsey, who was also a talent buyer at the Seattle music venue Triple Door. You'll also hear from Austin Santiago, owner of Build Strong Music Group and vice president at Do 206. He has spent over a decade curating concerts and music culture in the Pacific Northwest. And to conclude the episode, you'll hear from Celine Ramadan, a well-known Seattle musician who initially attracted a following performing music with Game Boys of all instruments and has a new sound with the band Prom Queen. This episode gives unique insight into the process of becoming a musician in Seattle. It provides a window into the evolving culture of the city that spans beyond music, and it gives you a chance to meet some of the talented artists who call our city home. Now to understand if the soul of Seattle's music scene is changing, it is important to get a sense of what it once was. Earlier in this season, platinum-selling Seattle musician Jason Finn recalled the music scene in the 1990s. I
2: know it sounds cliche, but everyone kind of did know each other, just socially, and we're all standing in the same uh, kitchens drinking canned beer. I don't remember thinking of it as like a cutthroat situation in the way that we always sort of heard about like L.A. being
1: like... You also heard from legendary radio personality Marco Collins, who helped break band after band in the 1990s. Everybody partied at Nils. Everybody, you know, went to
3: shows. There was like a group of people that all hung out. And it was based on the Hill, basically, but it just felt tight-knit. Like, when things
1: started getting big, it was really surreal. And you heard from Ben London, who previously served as an executive with the Grammys. What was great about it, really, was that the community was very small, the people that were participating, almost to the point where people started coming up to us and were like, hey, we haven't seen you around here before, are you from here? And just meeting people quickly and making friends and you know, the Comet Tavern on Capitol Hill was really almost like our, like a, like a common room for the music scene or something like that, or our living room, and so much of the sort of community building and the show building. And so, how do these views compare to what artists are seeing today? Well, last week you heard a little bit about the city's changes from two rising stars in Seattle's hip hop community. You heard from Dre's. You would cipher a lot, right? And cipher, for those who don't know, is just like five rappers in a circle, and if somebody gets a beep. It's a Right, and then somebody else just starts freestyling and rapping. Crowd would just come around, and that was really your biggest way to do it, right? Because you were going to touch them as grassroots. You heard from Dave B. Everyone's really chill, everyone has like their own little flavor, which is dope, but everyone's also very, very supportive. Like they'll come to your show, they'll help promote your show, even if they're not on it. And in today's episode, you'll hear more perspectives that give insight into how the city's growth is affecting the soul of Seattle music. First up, join me as I sit down with Lydia Ramsey. I'm here at the Triple Door with Lydia Ramsey, an Americana singer-songwriter who has performed in venues across Seattle, the country, and even the world. She's also a talent buyer right here at the Triple Door in Seattle. Lydia, thank you for joining me today.
0: Thanks for having me, Jeff.
1: My pleasure. So why don't we start by telling me a little bit about yourself?
0: Well, I'm from the Northwest originally, and I grew up in a little town called Indianola, which is a ferry ride away. Um, And I've been living in Seattle for the last 10 years or so, and um, I've been playing music my whole life. My parents are both musicians, so I grew up in a musical family, so it's always been a really big part of my world. And I started performing myself more professionally with my own project a few years ago um, and released my debut al- full-length album, which is called Bandita, just under my name, Lydia Ramsey. Um, and then I started working at the Triple Door five or six years ago. and It's been a really cool way to combine my passion and more of a day job career um, because I've been able to learn so much about the back end of the industry through Triple Door. That's helped me build so many connections and stuff for my own project as a musician on the front end. So my world is filled with music, and it makes me very happy.
1: So tell me a little bit more about the Triple Door.
0: The Triple Door uh, is downtown, and it's been here since the early 2000s. Um, there's two performance spaces here. There's a front bar called the Musicarium Lounge, where there's music every night of the week, um, and it's always free, which is great. Uh, There's a lot of local stuff that we book there, a few touring acts, um, and then there's the main stage theater, which is the ticketed part of the venue, and we have acts from all over the world come in and do all different genres from rock, jazz, soul, singer-songwriter, comedy, um, burlesque and it's a seated dinner theater so you get food and drink service right to your table while you're watching a show down there so it's one of my favorite venues in Seattle.
1: So you've got a lot of perspectives I want to tap into. You're a singer-songwriter here in the city. You're working at a triple door that brings in singers and songwriters and musicians. Let's start with the triple door. From what you've seen here what are the best aspects of Seattle's music scene?
0: Well Seattle has this amazing legacy um you know, going back to like the 90s and the grunge scene and all of that. And then even continuing with bands based out of Seattle that have made more, you know, national and international waves like the Head and the Heart or the Fleet Foxes coming out of the city. It's um, kind of become established as one of the major music cities in the country like Austin or New York or LA. Um, it's definitely developing a reputation which is great and helps a lot because when people come visit here, move here, they think about that um, as part of the heart and soul of the city, which is which is really awesome. So that's a really positive thing. Um, I also see a lot of collective community aspects of the city where um, a lot of musicians have this collaboration that is really a positive thing where everyone is in everyone else's band or you know subbing in or helping promote each other's bands and all of that rather than a more competitive vibe so uh, that's a really positive thing and that transfers over to the venues as well i feel like we have a lot of other friends that are other talent buyers you know like the tractor or other other venues around the city that You can just, you know, shoot an email to you like, hey, how how did this band do at your venue? Or like, who do you have working over there? Or, hey, help us promote this show and we'll help you promote your show, that sort of thing. Um, So there's this really nice collective community environment that I think is is a really special and positive thing.
1: And in terms of finding acts that could fill the seats here, are you finding that there's plenty of acts here in Seattle that you could attract to this venue? Or do you seek do you need to seek outside
0: it's interesting it's definitely both i mean we definitely do a lot of local music here which is great because we love supporting the local music scene so there are a lot of singer songwriters um, or various people that have a great draw here locally that will come and fill the room Um, i think it's harder as a local musician to get venue gigs and continually fill the space because you have to take, you know, a little time in between each one and make show, make each show special. Otherwise, you kind of fatigue your audience because even if there's an artist I love, I can't go see them every month, you know? Um, so when bands tour and it's the only time that they're going to be coming through your city, it makes it a special thing in itself. So that's one of the values of bringing in national acts is that, oh, they haven't been here in like three years. Um, and that always helps fill the room because people are excited to come see something that maybe hasn't been here in a while. So it's a combination, um, and we love both of them. It's it's great.
1: And so the bands playing the theater that are from Seattle, are they where are they in their careers in terms of have they been signed by a record label, have they put out a studio album, or do you sometimes get them? even before then?
0: Um, s- somewhat established already, um, but not too big, because the, since the theater is seated, the capacity is under 300. And once an artist reaches a certain point where they can sell more tickets, they're going to you know go to a bigger venue like Showbox or Numo's or something like that. So our mark that's right around 250 or 300 or something is... Um, is really nice for an artist that has some momentum and has a couple records out but maybe hasn't blown up yet in the national scene so they're still playing smaller venues like this but at the same time our venue is so special because it is this intimate experience that sometimes we'll get singer-songwriters that are bigger names but just want to play this room because it's a more intimate experience with the audience like a lot of times in bigger rooms it's so much harder to capture your audience because people are there drinking and partying and hanging out and there's something about standing versus sitting that just makes you more chatty and here in the, on the main stage in the theater when you know, your audience is, is sitting down and the lights are down and the sound is just like so amazing um, it provides this really unique experience that even acts that can sell more tickets are often drawn to
1: And so where do you go to find the bands that you believe can fill this room?
0: Well, there's a lot of different resources that we use. And it's myself um, and our other talent buyer, Scott Giampino. And I do the booking for the front room in the bar. And Scott does the booking for the theater here. And we both work closely for marketing and promotions of the theater and um, ticket sales and stuff like that. So when we're looking for talent... um, a lot of times, there's reoccurring business where we'll have someone that we've booked you know, years before and we already know works in the room. Or there's agents that we've developed relationships with that represent five different acts. Um, and maybe we've worked with four of them. So if they bring someone new to us, we have some reference point. Um, We get a million submissions via email, like through the website and all of that. And a very small percentage of of that um, translates to actually being booked in a show just because there's so much to filter through. And, And a lot of times those are bands that are newer and don't really have the draw to fill the space. But every once in a while, someone will submit through that that is a total gem or that's like a touring band that we know has following as well. And seeking out what else is happening around other venues. Like it's really fun looking at other venues' calendars or past, past shows that they've done and finding new artists that way. And then, of course, going out to see music and seeing shows. Uh, so there's lots, lots of different approaches.
1: So if somebody's not quite ready for the triple door, where are their options to perform here in Seattle?
0: A lot of times it depends on the genre of the music, but we try and reference people to other venues. So if we're like, hey, we're going to pass for now on a show with you. Um, If it's more singer-songwriter, I reference people to like the Connor Byrne or uh, the Fremont Abbey is a really good place and supports a lot of up-and-coming artists. The Sunset Tavern is a smaller venue in, in Ballard. Ballard has a really cool network for folk music and americana and rock because along um ballard ave there's three venues the sunset the tractor and connor burn all of which are like slightly upgrade from the next in terms of size so you can kind of go there as a beginning band and play connor burn and then graduate to sunset and maybe graduate to tractor Um, but there's yeah there's so many cool spots around town it's fun to refer people to them
1: So you've been working here at the Triple Door for five or six years, you've said, which just so happens to overlap with a huge boom in terms of the number of people and money moving in. Are you seeing changes?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's amazing to watch the city change. And it's, of course, in some positive ways with population density and like more people um, is a good thing in some ways. And then you also see a lot of the culture being lost. Um, For example, the... Comet, you know, used to be a music venue and now it's turned into this bar that has pool tables and a scene that's not very, doesn't have a lot of depth to it, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, And that's that's a loss for the city and, and what I think, in my opinion, at least, you know, like where businesses are being transformed to knock out the walls, have a bigger room, sell more drinks, sell more drinks, sell more drinks, rather than curating something that could add some quality of life to us as humans, you know? Um, So, and, I like, you know, Bumbershoot has changed a lot over the last five years. It changed ownership and is a new festival now because of kind of where people are wanting to put their money and what bands are wanting to see and stuff like that. Um, so there's there's a lot of complexities to it. Um, since we're downtown, we get a lot of the more booming tourist culture that's coming in. Um, and a, a lot of these new buildings that are going up in South Lake Union and que- like down lower Queen Anne and and downtown. We're definitely seeing more traffic that comes through, which is great. Um, I think that one of the issues is a lot of the new people that are moving here, aren't necessarily already interested in engaging in the art, arts culture. So it's kind of like having to retrain your your clientele a little bit or retrain your patrons. So people that walk through the door are like, what is this place? Or where, where are the music venues in Seattle? Um, and that takes a little bit of extra effort um to just find out where to start that dialogue with people that that are new or or maybe that are different than you that that aren't into going out and seeing a rock show because maybe they've never done that before (laughs) Um, so a lot of the people that we're seeing move into the to the city like the tech tech culture the tech culture is so different from like the Alternative art culture, so finding some way to create a dialogue between those two is is so important, and I think is kind of lacking right now. Um, so that's one of the biggest the biggest changes that I've I've seen is just so many new people um, coming in that don't necessarily know how to engage in what make Seattle great, this vitality of arts um, that's been in our history for so long.
1: Anything else you're noticing at the Triple Door?
0: Being downtown, it's really difficult to see the increase of homelessness and drug use because walking down the streets of 3rd Avenue and Pike every day, you you see so, so much going on on the streets um, that is really hard to see and that being so close to your business um you know you it becomes part of your life because you're around it all the time and and i think a lot of people that see that don't see any solution for it and don't know how to don't know how to approach approach helping those people in need um and it's definitely gotten worse so i think that that's a big thing that the city of course needs to address
1: and in terms of your life as a musician What's the best part of Seattle's music scene for you as a singer-songwriter?
0: Well, there's a really cool folk music scene right now. Um, a lot of new artists that are up and coming. And it is really, really cool to feel that collective support from so many of your peers. And um, it's really fun collaborating with, with other artists as well. It's really special feeling a part of this extended community community.
1: Are they supportive because you're from the Pacific Northwest? Or as new people come in, can they also get into this community?
0: Yeah, I think it's just the music world support where people are just really into making new art and making new music and finding out how they can learn from each other and finding out what other people are doing um, that they could be doing to help them improve their own business as a musician. Um, So it does seem seem very openly supportive.
1: What changes have you seen as a singer-songwriter that affect you as more people and money are moving into Seattle?
0: I definitely see a lot of new audiences at shows. Like, I'll have my draw of people. um, But it's always great playing a show where there's a bunch of new faces or people that have never seen you before. or hearing this is the first show that I've ever been to in Seattle um, and being able to develop those new relationships with people. And uh, especially when you hear that your music has made some impact on them in some way, it's a really special feeling.
1: And in terms of being able to get gigs and pay the bills as a musician here in Seattle, do you see any changes?
0: Um, Yeah, that's interesting. So there's you know a few different avenues that musicians angle towards when they're trying to kind of pay their pay their bills with their music, and one of those are is getting gig shows, which is playing like a venue show, like a club that tickets are sold for, and you have to hustle and promote to make it happen. Um, another is teaching lessons. Uh, another is a show in a uh, no cover space where you get a guarantee or percentage of bar sales or something and people can just come in and see you. I do think that there are more opportunities for musicians looking to just gig around town. So like these venues that have um, no cover shows like our bar or a few various places around around Seattle. um, It's really it's it provides a show that an artist can play uh, four nights a week. Like we were mentioning before, about how it's hard to have a club show more than like you know once every few months in one city because your draw gets depleted. But if there's work for you that's available in uh, these venues that can offer a guarantee just to provide a service to their guests in the form of like a happy hour live music vibe, then you're able to know that you have. You know, a certain chunk of money coming your way, and you don't have to sell the farm, promoting it or whatever. Um, and and that's that's a really that's a really good way for musicians to pad the pad the paycheck.
1: If a musician here in Seattle wants to get discovered and kind of get to a broader national audience, does Seattle have kind of the agents and managers and records labels? Does it have enough to support the artists who deserve to go big?
0: I mean, it's such a tricky question because there's no set formula for kind of who gets picked up and thrown into the mainstream, you know? I mean, there's definitely things that help get you there, and some of those definitely come out of Seattle. There are a couple great PR companies out of here, um, but I also, at the same time, do know a few artists that, you know, have moved from here down to L.A. because there's more industry support down there, um, on the national level. So I think Seattle's maybe still on the B team in terms of giving artists that boost.
1: If you can get a message out to the people of Seattle or the government of Seattle as to what you'd like to see them do.
0: Well, I'd love to see these new companies that are coming in, um, set some intention, um, of, designing some programs or something that gets their employees together out into venues and out into the art scene um, that gives them the information about where music is happening and some incentives for going out with your work team um, and going and seeing a show and also the developers that are building these buildings to have more incentives for them to create specific artist spaces. um, Artist housing, rehearsal spaces, venues, things like that.
1: Any concluding thoughts?
0: A resonating sentiment for me is finding ways to create this dialogue between people that are different than you or that are newly to this city um, to be able to give them information um, about why this city is so great uh, in terms of arts and where the cool spots are to go um, to find some good music or um, to see to see a good art show because it's the arts that create this vibrancy and vitality of the city that people were drawn to in the first place and if that's lost um, and, you know, the artists just disperse then the core of the city, what does it become? Um, so I hope that people are able to just remember what art and music does for us all.
1: Lydia, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Jeff.
1: Coming up on Seattle Grove Podcast, you'll hear from music industry leader Austin Santiago and the talented Celine Ramadan. But first... Enjoy getting to know Lydia Ramsey a little bit more through her song, Show Me the Stars, from her Bandita album, available at Lydia Ramsey Music. next turn to an industry leader for further perspective on what is happening in Seattle's music scene. To get a sense of the culture and various sounds coming from Seattle, join me as I sit down with Austin Santiago. I am here with Austin Santiago, VP at Do206 and founder of Build Strong Music Group and uh, an important person here in Seattle's uh, thriving music scene. Austin, thank you for joining me today. Of
3: course. Thanks for having me. So why don't you start by just telling me a little bit about yourself? I moved out to Washington for college in 2003. I lived up in Bellingham for the better part of a decade and have been living in Seattle for the last couple years. Um, I am a big fan of music and always have been. That kind of led to trying to find my way through the music community, ultimately as like kind of doing marketing, talent buying, and then eventually moving on to artist management. Um, These days, I'm the VP at Do 206, which is a media property um, here in Seattle that it's basically an outlet and an opportunity for people to find out what's going on in the city. Uh, so we curate a lot of events for our brands and partners. And we work with a lot of the big promoters and venues in Seattle to help get butts in seats, if you will. And tell me a little bit more about Build Strong Music Group. Uh, Build Strong was founded in 2005. So me and some friends started it originally as a clothing company to kind of sell you know, streetwear. And then after a while, that kind of fell off because fashion wasn't really ever my purpose. I kind of used that idea as an entity to help throw events. Um, so that transitioned from that into just more of a promotional entity, uh, and eventually by default of being around a lot of artists, we started helping artists put out art after a couple of people we had worked with, um, that we knew were going to kind of, kind of blow up did. We realized that we had an opportunity and kind of an an ear for finding artists before they were as big as they could become. We were involved really early with Alan Stone with Odessa, and so they were kind of. Odessa was kind of the last draw that we were like, all right, next time, we know we're gonna just try to manage that artist and um, take a more hands-on approach. Because when you're talent buying or you're working with a young artist, you're only involved for this small window, from say 300 tickets to 500 tickets, and then they're on to the next bigger promoter, bigger venue. So with artist management, you get an opportunity to have a lot more shelf life you know, you're there at the very, very beginning. And as they grow and get bigger, you're pretty much there until they fire you. And so tell me about your work with Macklemore and Alan Stone. What, what did you do? Um, I mean, with Macklemore, it was, you know, we fo- we formed a friendship really, uh, really early when in his career, he was playing like hundred person venues with 30 people in the audience. I think he played my 20th birthday or my 21st birthday. I'm 33 now. So, you know, for context, that's about how long we've known each other. Um, you know, I did some consulting for him. I DJ'd for him um, every time we played Bellingham. I DJ'd for him at random college shows around Washington. We discussed potentially doing um, some artist management for him, but I didn't know what I was doing and he didn't really need artist management. Uh, this is pre Ryan Lewis, pre sobriety, so a different time period. Alan was another one that Craig and I, the other talent buyer at the Buffalo, just believed in early, brought him up and. You know, it was one of those things where we'd bring them up and everyone would be blown away by how good they were, but there wouldn't be that many people there. So a lot of our early involvement with these acts was just developing them and trying to get them um, to get bigger. Uh, with Odesza, it was a little bit more than that. We actually booked their first show ever. Uh, my tour managed part of their first tour ever and then uh, helped intro them to their agent and then also like did some light consulting on like helping put together people for their horn section and some of their band members.
1: And so you've been involved at the start of some big acts here in Seattle. What would you say is your proudest accomplishment having been in the music business for over a decade here?
3: Uh, man, that's tough. I think that coming to Seattle, like my my biggest and most exciting thing I've done here is kind of taking the, the artist development thing to another level. We've taken on more acts. Um, Manatee Commune was an act that I worked with until about November, who... We developed from a 19-year-old kid in Bellingham to selling out the Neptune, and he did two nights at Numos for New Year's, you know, and played Sasquatch and Bumper Shoot and Bonaroo and stuff like that. So that was a big one. That was like a seed to tree. Like we saw it as it as it came out of the ground and watched it grow. So that was a good feeling. Um, some of the the acts I'm working with now are on the younger side, and they maybe don't have the accolades yet that they're going to have but like chong the nomad being one who's a recent cornish graduate 22 years old um we met because we throw a, ba- a beat battle every year at vera project last year and then this year it's at the crocodile she was the only female entry in the entire beat battle ended up doing really well and i was just blown away by her music and her personality and and just seeing like where she was when she was basically borderline going to quit making music after college to deciding because of this B battle and because of working with us at Build Strong to pursue music very seriously. And just what she's accomplished already and her potential over the next year is pretty insane. Tell me more about the Wild Buffalo. The Wild Buffalo is what I would call the Numos of Bellingham. It's a it's a 450 cab, so it's a little bit smaller than Numos. It's uh, every genre of music. A lot of my role was getting all of the big Seattle bands that were emerging from the different time periods from, you know, Blue Scholars to... Mad Rad when that was a thing back in the day, to um, Saul, to Macklemore, to just literally every, every big bigger developing Seattle act, minus the ones that were so big by the time I was in that position that we couldn't work with them, like a Pearl Jam or somebody. Um, taking all those acts and really giving them an opportunity, a lot of the time, to be their first show outside of Seattle and providing them a really cool platform and a cool place to realize, oh, we can leave Seattle and have that same reaction, that same like dedicated fan base
1: So now in your role as VP at Do 206, you're, you're working on spreading the word about what we've got going on here in Seattle. What is
3: going on in Seattle? I mean, the, the cool thing about Seattle these days is, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of animosity and a lot of like worry around the, the growth of Seattle and the, the shifting of Seattle. It's becoming a city, like a real city very quickly. And I think that scares a lot of people, um, but from the perspective of culture, I've seen like stuff pop up that I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm in New York right now. You can look at pretty much any community of music these days and there's a champion for it. Like um, you know, obviously like an Odessa, an electronic community that's emerged nationally in the last couple of years is Odessa's to the point where they're selling out Pepsi Center. You know, they're selling twenty-five thousand tickets in Los Angeles and headlining worldwide festivals. So they're literally like R- representing Seattle as one of the biggest electronic acts in the entire world right now, which you couldn't have said that three years ago. Um, you know, Macklemore, he's maintained this momentum that's nothing short of impressive, put out another record without Ryan Lewis and is still, you know, platinum, many, many platinum songs on that record. Um, so he's still kind of championing that scene. But there's also, like, all of these scenes have these like, massive underbellies of different styles. I mean, there's literally, there's so many different genres. I think one of the ones that has really been uh, telling for me is, and it's weird because it's not music in the sense of like recorded music, but in the sense of culturally here in the city is there's a lot of different crews doing events. So there's like a night shift, for instance, is a, is a pop of event that started um, on the hill like three or four years ago. And it's to the point now where they're doing an event a month year round and having 1200 people come to every single event and lines out the door. And they're charging, you know, fifteen dollars for local talent just doing DJ sets. So there's like a, there's like a hungry culture of people wanting to experience live music, and I think that's always been the case, but it's just becoming more diverse. Um, you know, I think the one thing that's always kind of lacked in Seattle and tends to still lack is an infrastructure of the business side. We have Sub Pop, you know, we have Billions Agency, but there isn't a lot of like opportunity for music industry professionals outside of people who play gigs or. Are owning venues or doing live sound or even recording music, I guess, technically to like be professionals here. Like it's hard to be an agent in Seattle. It's hard to be an artist manager in Seattle. It's hard to be a publicist in Seattle. So that's the one thing that I kind of noticed lacking still.
1: All right. So you say there's a bunch of different sounds coming out of Seattle. What is the soul of Seattle's music scene?
3: Um, I think I think the soul of Seattle's music scene is is originality. I think it's, I think that The thing that makes Seattle hard to blow up on a national scene when you compare it to other cities is, like, you know, we had grunge, which was a sound, right? And that sound was not just one band. It was an entire group of band. That isn't the case anymore. It's it's the originality that made grunge a thing. That same vein of originality makes all of these different styles of music special because they sound like them. But it also makes it really hard for them to resonate on a national scale because they all sound like them so it's not as easy to be like oh that sounds like the bay or that sounds like you know nashville and so i think that you know the common thread between a lot of the acts i i love and know in the city is regionality like if you look at Odessa as an example i'm speaking to bands that i know specifically and that's why i'm kind of like referencing this time frame but Odessa is a band that they didn't just sound like them they literally create an entire genre of people that sound like them now. Like, they get listed as a genre. Like, people would be like, Indie, Electronic, slash, Odessa Because it's literally so many acts attempting to sound like Odeza now because of their success that they became a genre. And you could say that for a lot of the acts that have come out of Seattle. I think that, you know, the, the DIY nature of it, the lack of this. There's just not 50,000 people trying to sound like each other in the same place. Everyone's locked in their basement making a song. And then they emerged from the shadowy depths to play a show. So, you know, the common thread from all the acts that I really respect in Seattle is they sound like them. What else separates Seattle from other music cities? Geography (laughs) plays into it a lot. Like we get forgotten a lot. So there's a certain level of like intensity you have to believe in yourself to even make it far enough for anyone outside of Seattle to care. If you look at like the acts that are really breaking out nationally, a lot of the reason is either they leave and they get national attention elsewhere and then they come back or they're selling so many tickets, like physical tickets, because that's like, like I said, like such a huge part of Seattle's music is the live element of it, that they're selling so many tickets like Macklemore when he sold out three nights at Showbox, it was like, that's a big deal. And it, that was enough to get press nationally. So it's it's kind of weird, but I think geography is a big difference between us and the places, and it causes like this, you have to really, really try, and you have to really believe in what you're doing, and you have to be willing to just you know, kind of throw everything else to the side to make it happen.
1: You talked about working from seed to tree with artists trying to take them from their passion into actually making things happen. What do you think, with all the money and people moving in, How has that benefited you in your efforts to take artists from seed to trees?
3: So me specifically, like the artists I manage, I haven't seen a ton of that, but I can speak on it from Due 206 and then also from a person who's around people that have made it happen. So like, you know, as Due 206, we've gotten a lot of opportunity to help curate events for brands that have good budgets. So I've seen a lot of acts that I know that maybe don't get paid very much to play like a you know, a club size show at like the tractor or or chop suey or something turn and get paid 10 times as much to play an event for a tech company, whether that be a private thing or a conference or whatever. So anytime you can find a solid, consistent, alternative revenue streams as an independent artist, that's really important and really beneficial. Um, And then also like, you know, an example I'll use is there's a guy named Gary who started a thing called Crane City Records. Um, Gary is just a hip hop fan, like through and through one of the most like at every show, passionate Seattle hip hop fans I've ever seen in a very long time. And he basically was like, you know, he has a day job, he makes decent money doing whatever he does in tech, I'm not sure what. Um and he basically was like, Man, I really want that local rap record on vinyl, but it doesn't exist. So he just started hitting up the artists that he liked and being willing to shell out the money to press their records. And so there is some of that crossover where you see people that are really, you know, regardless of the profession, are hardcore music people that really want to help. And if they're not creatively able to to add to the the fabric of the city through making their own music, they try to find other ways to to you know use their resources. Any other benefits that you personally have experienced? Anytime you have more currency exchanging hand, there's more people trying to be involved in that community. So, you know, national brands that I've worked with have started to show more interest in Seattle and be more interested in what's going on here.
1: And in your work with Due206 or the Build Strong Music Group, have you found any challenges that you're experiencing because of the money people and changes happening here in Seattle?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's very hard to make money here as an artist. It's it's very hard to sustain yourself as an artist. Um and so that's obviously challenging like the less these young acts can Throw themselves wholeheartedly into their art, the less opportunity they're going to have to make it their profession. Um, it's really hard to work a nine to five and then get off your nine to five and then try to be creative. You know that really beats you down. So, you know, just like anyone else, I think the cost of living is is definitely a, a major roadblock for artists and musicians in the city. Um, you know, the cost of shows and and nightlife going up is is hard for people to experience stuff. Um, it's also hard in the sense of, like, you know, there's n- there's only one Vera project and there's something regarding the, the infrastructure of our city that makes it that way. Like, they have to raise a lot of money just to, just to be open. Like, it's not a profitable model. And so why is that? And I think, you know, it's expensive to be here. And with all the changes, if you could shape
1: what the future holds for Seattle's music scene... What would you do? What would you ask for?
3: If you look at our our conversation about ourselves, if you look at the national conversation about Seattle, it's always music in there somewhere. It's always been part of our story, but yet it doesn't feel like, you know, with the amount of changes being made and the amount of money being made, that enough of that emphasis is being put back into that idea. So I'd love to see more programs. I'd love to see more subsidization for artists and for musicians to be able to have creative spaces, have, you know, opportunities to stay here. Like if we're going to create these things that make it harder for musicians, then we need to offset that. If we have an Amazon who's going to spend X, Y, Z on developing all these new things in South Lake Union, like, well, let's build in a percentage of that that maintains the identity of our city, which is this music city. And just being really like proactive and on top of programming stuff. And I know we do some of it. I just think we could always do more. Any concluding thoughts? Um, I think the future of Seattle music is bright. I see a lot of really talented people from all different genres. Um, I think we'll, we'll continue to grow and we'll continue to make good art. I think that it's important for us to embrace the idea of being a city more and focus on building infrastructure, getting more labels here, getting more agents here, getting more publicists here, getting more people here that are really developing us internally so we can kind of tackle the U.S. better.
1: Austin, thank you much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Of course. Thanks. I'm Jeff Shulman. And in case you forgot,
2: you are listening to Seattle growth podcast available free
4: on iTunes.
1: That's my next guest, Celine Ramadan, who gives another artist's perspective on the soul of Seattle music and how it is evolving. Stay tuned until the end of this episode to hear some of her music. I am here with Celine Ramadan, a well known Seattle musician, artist, and performer who has performed as Leenie, as Prom Queen, and as the hilarious Snacks the Bunny. So many personas, and one of them here today. Celine, thank you for joining me. <laughs> um, so, why don't we start by just telling me a little bit about yourself?
4: I've been living here in Seattle for about 13 years. I moved here from New Hampshire, it's where I grew up. And I didn't really start doing music until I moved to Seattle. Uh, but ever since I moved here I've been doing it and it's been really interesting. I've grown a lot as an artist and the city's been growing a lot too and it sort of has been a really interesting journey.
1: So what brought you out here if it wasn't music?
4: Um, My father lived here and so I was able to visit anytime I wanted and make friends and I spent a summer here when I was in college and Just met so many amazing people.
1: Tell me about your journey as a musician in those 13 years here in Seattle.
4: I started writing songs. uh, Just, you know, I, I recorded an acoustic album first. And just to try out songwriting and playing shows and stuff. And so I got my first taste of playing open mics and things like that. And then I wanted to get into electronic music. So I shifted focus into that. And then I started making music with Game Boys. And so that's when I was leany and I did a bunch of chiptune music festivals and um, showcases and things like that. I did that for several years and played around Seattle as a solo act for a long time. And then slowly but surely started my other band, Prom Queen, and it's been growing for the last five years and That's what I'm doing now.
1: How on earth do you make music out of a Game Boy?
4: (laughs) Well, it's called chiptune music. The chip refers to the sound chip in the video game console. So you can make chiptune music on any video game console. But I used Game Boys because they're small and easy to carry around with you. And uh, there were a few different um, cartridges. They looked like games that you could buy and you put them into your Game Boy and you just use the controls on the Game Boy to program songs so it was a step sequencer so you just program note by note all your music and you can layer channels on top of each other and then store your songs and play them back and sync it with another Game Boy or sync it with a drum machine or a synth or something so you can really make it part of a whole music setup.
1: So as as somebody who's new to to chiptunes this sounds wildly creative to me what inspired you to do that and did Seattle play any role in inspiring your music?
4: It did because I I discovered that people were making chiptune music when I was just cruising around MySpace uh, when I was bored at a desk job one day. And I just really realized that, that those were the sounds I was really drawn to. I liked the nostalgia of it. And there was one guy in Seattle that was doing it. And so when I got my cartridge and I had questions, I was able to go to his show and pull him aside after and be like, how did you get past this point? And it was really great just to have that little micro community of even just me and him um, trying to figure it out and book shows together and stuff like that. Um, If I was elsewhere, it probably would have been harder to um, move past those humps and get to the point where I could actually create with it.
1: So, Leany making chiptunes. How do you get booked here in Seattle? Like, where, who is letting you play Game Boy music for for people?
4: Well, you know, there's like clubs that are usually pretty open minded. Um, that, you know, they'll, they usually book like five or six acts and they don't mind if you're solo or, you know, I played at, I don't know if you remember, Toast was one of the venues in Fremont. I used to play there. Um, I know I played at the Rendezvous, I played at Connor Byrne. I played all kinds of places around town and you just find a showcase that it would like work and it's nice if you get a bunch of chiptune musicians together and do a night. Um, But it was a challenge because I didn't really fit in uh, because I was kind of a singer-songwriter making Game Boy songs and so no one really sings over that um, normally. It's usually kind of like more dancey house music so I didn't really fit in even to those bills either. (laughs) So it was rough to try to find places to play, but.
1: And now with Prom Queen, you're getting a lot of success and accolades. We've got the Seattle Times here covering you. You've been covered in Seattle Weekly, The Stranger, Crosscut. What aspect of Seattle's music scene has been most helpful for you and Prom Queen?
4: I do think that there's a lot of really amazing um, press outlets that are really generous and we've gotten some really great write-ups and just had a lot of really great support just over the years. It's been nice to have these little pieces of, of, uh, writing to support what we're trying to do. Um, and everyone is so friendly in that way. And, and I think also, um, just the community of musicians here too. There's a lot of fans that, you know, have been around that they're all just taking care of each other and trying to book shows together because everybody likes each other so much. So that's cool.
1: What aspect of Seattle's music scene has presented or does present the biggest challenge to you as an artist?
4: I think that one of the challenging things is to find, is to get the good opportunities. sometimes. I think that Seattle is the size, the type of, like the size of the city specifically lends itself to, you know, there's a big headlining act that's a national touring act and it's hard to get sometimes a good slot you kind of get into like this middle zone where it could be kind of tough to get out of it um, or you could sort of plateau a little bit here and I don't know if that's just the way it is everywhere but I think that that's one thing I think that the changing landscape of Seattle's population has been a challenge because now everyone has office jobs. It's harder to do a show on a weeknight and actually get people out. Whereas before, you know, people could work at a bar and still afford their rent. um, And they could come out and do weeknight shows. But I'm noticing less and less um, it's, it's harder to get people out on weeknights because there's, yeah, a lot of nine to five kind of office life because of the, the changing economy of Seattle.
1: So earlier in your 13 years here, the even though there were fewer people in Seattle, there were more people showing up during weeknights?
4: I think there was more of a nightlife, especially during the week. Um, there was just more of a artist culture here. The artist culture in Seattle is is hurting because of the expense of living going up. So there's less people that are kind of able to live more of a bohemian lifestyle and go out to shows and... I mean, I personally, I work at Microsoft and I have a really hard time living a double life and, uh, you know, working in a corporate world and trying to be part of a music scene is exhausting. (laughs) And I totally understand, like, it's hard for me to do it as a performer. It's obviously much harder for an audience member to want to like talk themselves into going that they're no, they don't have to be there.
1: (laughs) And how long have you worked in the corporate world?
4: You know, I mostly have worked in the corporate world the whole time I've lived in Seattle, um, mostly, though, the last 10 years. Um, And that's looked a lot of different ways. There's been times when I'm just freelance and I get to kind of make my own schedule. And that's really great for music making because I get to work two days, two days in a week or, you know, two days every two weeks and make my income and then create the rest of the time which is ideal but every once in a while I really need to take on full-time work and this year was one of those times with the album release and our tour I had to make sure I was going to be able to afford it all so full-time work was necessary but it is really hard to balance it.
1: You know how much does it cost to put out an album and try to make it work?
4: Well you have your studio costs which were significant and then you pay for mastering you pay for manufacturing, so I'm actually making the records. So we made vinyl and CDs, and then we hired a. I say we, I mean I hired a PR company um, for the release, so that people could know about the release. And then um, doing a tour, it's the lo- it's full logistics of getting four people. You know, we went to the UK, so getting four people to the UK, all the travel expenses for that, um, lodging and, um, making sure that we had press for those shows and trying to like spend as little as possible, but make all that happen. And then there's the release event, which, um, we were really lucky. We got our venue donated this year from Artist Home and Piranha Shop. The guys who run that, they let us use their space for free. So that really helped because... We were, <laughs> I mean, I I was very broke at that time. So um, people were really, really generous and we had volunteers help decorate and stuff like that. So while it was very expensive, we also got a lot of things for free and we got a lot of people supporting us. So
1: You've been here 13 years. What other changes have you noticed that have affected you as a musician?
4: Yeah, I just think that the artist culture has changed so much. Uh, again, I think it's harder for artists to just live and do their art and survive here. So, so that, so then it looks a lot of different ways. Either people leave or they stay and they have to kind of, um, make some compromises. Um, and so I think that that has affected things.
1: What compromises have you had to make?
4: I think just working in corporate is a big compromise for me. I don't really want to. Um, but I can't, uh, the type of work that I did before I was like pretty full-time corporate, um, kind of more, more creative, weirder production stuff and singing telegrams and stuff. I can't really pay my rent with that anymore. Um, so yeah.
1: What are you feeling as you're seeing the artist community that you've been a part of you're seeing it shift and change.
4: I feel a few things. I feel like it's, it's, you know, just it's a kind of a natural growth. I feel like yes, people are leaving. um, But yes, also there's just so much newer stuff coming out and new people coming to the city and creating. And so I think it's still thriving. I just, um, I don't know what it's I don't know where what it's going to look like or it it feels like it's changing pretty rapidly. Um, I feel like for a long time it felt like it was slowly evolving or slowly changing and more recently in the last few years I feel like it's been um, just growing very very quickly like I suddenly don't recognize any bands and it's like I'm in the music scene and I still don't know. I I suddenly don't know all these bands because there's so many new ones, and I think that's really cool. Um, So and like necessary. So it seems like, you know, I would be more concerned if there weren't any new bands forming. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I just kind of feel like the city's growing and the music scene is growing along with it. You see all this money coming into Seattle you see all these changes happening and then you see, you know, when you get to the airport, Alan Stone is on the intercom, or they have all these musicians on the intercom and they are always touting being a music city. And I'm like, well, when are they going to put something back in for artists? And I've been advocating for artists, more artist housing in Seattle for years now. Um, I started a Facebook group on it. It doesn't get a lot of action, but I definitely feel like if Seattle wants to be a city that, celebrates being a place of, uh, you know, a music city, a place where our musicians create, Um, putting some resources and energy into that is what we need because otherwise we're not going to survive.
1: As the city is changing so much, if you could kind of guide it and direct it, is there anything else that you would like to see for the future of Seattle's music scene or for the future of Seattle?
4: I'd like to see more artist housing in Seattle. I would like to see, um, and then music venues. I think we could use some more music venues. I think if we're there's more opportunities for people to play different types of music, different types of shows, um, you know, it's like, I kind of feel like we're a little bit low on like listening rooms, like places where you can hear singer songwriters and hear all the lyrics. And I think we might have like one or two places in town that are really focused on focused songwriting spaces in terms of, um, audience. And I think we could use more variety in that. We have a lot of clubs and a lot of like places where you can play loud music, but some of our clubs turn into dance clubs on Saturday nights or whatever because they make more money. And I would love if we can have more dedicated music venues that are always music venues, seven nights a week.
1: Any concluding thoughts?
4: I don't want to come off as uh sounding at all ungrateful or, um, bitter or whatever to Seattle, I think um, I'm very happy being a band here. I moved here for a reason and the reason was, one of the reasons was to make music and I can't imagine having made another choice and Seattle has been really generous and um, just amazingly inspiring to me.
1: Celine, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Thanks. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Now I have a favor to ask of you. Please take a moment to rate this podcast in iTunes. By taking just a second and rating Seattle Growth Podcast in iTunes app, you'll help more people discover this work and the talented voices who are still to come in this season. Next week's episode gives insight into why some Seattle musicians are leaving this growing city. You'll hear from singer-songwriter Naomi Wachira.
2: The question I keep asking myself is, um, how do I keep doing this and not kill myself doing it?
1: You also hear from Seattle Weekly's best jazz act of 2017, Kate Voss, and her husband, Jason Gessel.
2: We do eventually want to buy a house and
4: uh, settle down at some point, uh, and we're not totally sure we can do that in Seattle.
3: Yeah, there's no way we can afford to
1: live here. The, the gigs would have to pay three times as much. I hope you'll join me next week. Until then... I'm Jeff Schulman, and I thank you for continuing on this journey of Seattle Growth Podcast. Now enjoy the song, Vengeance Will Be Mine, by Prom Queen, available at promqueenmusic.com. You broke
2: my heart right from the start